Well, good morning, church family. I am so excited to see all of you this morning. For those of you that don't know, I'm Pastor Tim. I'm the youth pastor here at the church. So if you have a student in 5th through 12th grade, as soon as praise and worship's done, we would love for them to join us in our youth service, and they can literally follow the mass exodus of teenagers out of this room. You'll see them. Just go join them. We're going to have a great service back in the teens today. If you're a first-time guest with us this morning, I want to say welcome. We are so glad that you are here with us. I want you to know that you've come into a house of hope. We believe that there is hope in Jesus for every person, no matter what you're going through, and we're going to be celebrating that hope this morning. So we're glad you're here, and if you're joining us on live stream, thank you so much. If it's your first time on live stream with us, make sure you just let us know in the comments that it's your first time with us. We'd love to connect with you as well. If you are a first-time guest in the house, there's a QR code on the screen right now. If you take your phone and you scan that, you can fill out a little quick form for us that just lets us know that you are here and gives us the ability to reach out and just connect with you and let you know that we care about you and see how we can be praying for you and those kind of things. Or you can scan it. There's a QR code in the back of the pew. You can literally look. There's a little sticker there. You can fill one out there as well. All right, we have a prayer team walking around right now. They're holding up prayer cards. If you have a prayer need in the house today, we want to be praying for you as a staff. We have our first Saturday prayer coming up here real soon where we'll be praying as a church for every prayer request that we get all month long. So if you have something going on that's significant, make sure you grab one of those cards, fill it out. You can drop it in the offering bucket. You can drop it at the Welcome Center in the lobby. We want to be praying for you. We also have praise report cards because we also love to hear how God's moving in your life. So if you have a praise report, grab one of those cards, fill it out, drop it off for us as well. We love to see what God is doing in your life. Again, first Saturday prayers coming up uh, this coming Saturday. We hope that you're here from 8 to 9. It's one hour. It's so good. We need you. We need your prayers, so be there. And then next steps, if you're new to the church, but you're like, this is my church. These are my people. This is where my family's going to call home. We want you to join the church officially, and you do that through next steps. So we have food, child care is provided. If you want to join the church, all you got to do is go back to the lobby uh, at the Welcome Center, and you can sign up for Next Steps. We hope to see you there. And then finally, Good Friday um, service is coming up. It'll be 4 p.m. to 8 p.m., obviously on Good Friday. Easter's right around the corner. And then for Easter, we're going to have our sunrise service and then our normal service at 10 a.m., Hey, listen, this, we know from research this is one of the times that people are most open to coming to church. So here's how we want to take advantage of that. First, we want to be praying. We want to pray that God would soften the ground of the people that we need to invite to church, that he would soften that ground so that when we extend an invitation to them, they respond with a big old, yes, I was hoping you'd ask me to come to church that day. And then you bring them here, and you can just know that as a leadership team here at the church, man, we are making this Sunday all about salvation. We are believing God's going to show up in powerful ways in people's lives and bring salvation to those who are far from Jesus. So join with us by doing your part and getting those lost people in the building that day. Amen? Amen? Yeah, we're going to bring the lost in the house on that Sunday. Let's go. Amen. Would you guys stand to your feet with me? I feel real encouraged this morning to just share this with you. It's Psalms 139, and as, as we get ready to enter into worship, I was just meditating on this the other day, and the Lord really like just ministered to me through it, and I want to I share it with you. Because I know for me, I'm a deep thinker. Any of you deep thinkers? In the house, you just raise your hand. Let me see who my people are. You know, you just way overthink everything. Yeah, that's me. And um, I way overthink my own self. And I, and I think 
very critically of myself. And I think that if everyone really knew how terrible of a failure I was at everything in my life, nobody would like me. You know, anybody else relate to that? You know, you just beat yourself. Yeah, it's not true. It's just I do this to myself. But then I was meditating on Psalms 139. I just want you to hear this. The psalmist says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. This is like my worst nightmare is somebody knowing me that much. Knowing all of the little things that I think in my brain and all this stuff. Like, this is my, and yet the psalmist says, No, God knows it all. There's absolutely nothing about my life hidden from Him. But then look, He doesn't stop. He says, And where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me. Oh, come on. Even that, even that secret stuff that you don't want anybody, that sin in your life, even that will hide me. Nope. The darkness will be like daylight to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. What, is, what kind of God is this? For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. He knows everything about this. Then look at this. He says in verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Church, God knows everything about you, even the things you don't want anybody to know. And here's what God says. I still chose you. I still call you. I'm still with you. Nothing can separate you from what I'm going to do in your life. Just keep coming a little bit closer. And the psalmist, in reflecting on all of this and the mercy and the grace of the God, he then prays, Lord, lead me in paths of righteousness. Search me and know me. Test me. And reveal any offensive way in me. Why? Because God's got a good life in store for you. But he's got to lead you there. We can't find it on our own. But I want you to know above all else, church, no matter what's going on in your life, Jesus doesn't turn his back on you. He's just calling you out and saying, come find life in me. So wherever you're at this morning, if you walked in today feeling beat up about yourself, feeling like you're just a failure, I want you to know God has good thoughts about you. And he wants you to come and experience the good life that he's got for you. So we're going to stand up and praise the king who is worthy of all of the glory and the honor today.
This is the sound of dry bones rattling. This is a praise make a dead man walk again. Hope in the grave, I'm coming out. I'm gonna live, gonna live again. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. fire stirring something new you're not gonna run out of miracles anytime soon yeah resurrection power runs in my veins too
to praise, make a dead man walk again. Hope in the grave, I'm coming out, I'm going to live, going to live again. Hope in the grave, I'm coming out, I'm going to live, going to live again. Hope in the grave, I'm coming out, I'm going to live, going to live again. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. And this is the sound of dry bones rattling. Oh, this is the praise makes a dead man walk again. And this is the sound of dry bones rattling. And this is the praise makes a dead man walk again. Open the grave. I'm going to live, going to live again. Hope in the grave. I'm coming out. I'm going to live, going to live again. Hope in the grave. I'm coming out. I'm going to live, going to live again. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. Cause my God is able to save. My God is able to save. And deliver and heal. My God is able to save. And deliver and heal. My God is able to save. And deliver and heal. And restore.
church let's tell the Lord that directly to him this morning there's nothing we want more than you Jesus nothing there's nothing that we want more nothing compares to you there is nothing we want more oh there
for you are my beloved and you are mine, saith the Lord. I have called you, I have chosen you, and I have appointed you for such a time as this. Remember today that you are mine and that I love you with an everlasting love, saith the Lord. A love so deep and a love so wide that you cannot comprehend it in your own imagination. But know this day, saith the Lord, that I have called you. Forget not the things that I have spoken to you, saith the Lord. Forget not the things that I have promised you, saith the Lord. For I am faithful to do those things that I say that I will do, saith the Lord. And I tell thee today to look up where your help comes from. Look up where your help comes from. Draw nigh unto me as I draw nigh unto you, saith the Lord. And know this day that I'm doing a quickening within your spirit and I'm calling you forth to do those things that I have called you to do. Amen. That was a word from the Lord. change who you are or what you deserve. Give you my worship and you still deserve it. You're worthy of my song, you're worthy. 
serve. Hallelujah. There's such a precious spirit in the house today. I know God's going to do some great things today, so thank you for being a part of this. 
Uh, as always, this is our time that we're going to be receiving a special offering for Pakistan. And uh, I'll also be receiving all our tithes and offerings as well. Uh, I shared briefly last week about our seventh trip to Pakistan coming up. And I'm going to talk just a little bit, but I'm going to show a video once again. Uh, if we could show the video right now, I'd appreciate it.
You're not here just because of the music. Jesus is in the house. And just like he did those years ago. When we cry out the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. God is good, amen. I know it can be emotional seeing Pastor up there, but you know what? This is why we're doing what we're doing. It's because of Pastor Peter Dosek. We couldn't do this without him, his inspiration, amen. He meant so much to all of us, still does. I know we're all still feeling a void to some extent, but Pastor's cheering us on from heaven. Because I'll never forget, when Pastor and I began going to Pakistan, as you saw, we've done there six times. We've seen 398,898 people that we can count by cards who've come to Christ in the second largest Muslim nation world. He said, Eric, this to me is the greatest opportunity of my lifetime. And I want to go back to that nation at least twice a year. And I want to raise up people that can do the same thing. So we've been putting a big focus on going to Pakistan. I know we don't talk about a lot about Peter Dosik Ministries from this platform. Um, but, you know, we do talk about Pakistan practically every time we go because we believe it is such an amazing opportunity. You saw the crowds there. There's oftentimes between 80 to 100, as many as 140,000 people in a single service. And to get people on this crusade grounds, we have to bust them there to get them there safely. When we do crusades, I love doing crusades in big cities because it's easy to pull the population from the city into the crusade site. But in Pakistan, it's, it, it's a dangerous thing to do it that way. So we have to bust people away from places that they could be hurt to a crusade site so they hear the gospel without any limitations, with open hearts and ready to receive. And we typically see in the last, in the last six crusades, we've seen anywhere from 51,000 people, upwards of 82,000 people making decisions for Christ in one single service. And we're setting our faith right now for between 50 to 60,000 more to come to Christ on March the 1st. So first of all, I want to ask you, would you be praying for us on March the 1st? We're going to believe God for a massive harvest. And I want to see if you would be a part once again. I want to honor pastor as much as I can in everything I do. His heart was souls. His heart was his church and first and foremost. But he loved taking the gospel around the world. And we can do it once more, church. You know, the, the, the political situation in Pakistan is getting more and more challenging by the day. I hope we can go back again in October. That's, that's what I'm using my faith for. But I just don't know. If this is our last time going in, we want to get and win as many people as we possibly can. So when we put a person, we, we fill a bus up with about 100 people. And so basically for about every dollar that is given, we can put a person on a bus to hear one of Pastor Dosik's Son of the Faith. And this time it's going to be Pastor Matt Nichols. For those of you who don't know Pastor Matt, he is six foot seven, well over 300 pounds. He's a, he's a massive man, but he has his heart as big as he, as he is. And he is so excited about going. I know he's been praying. He's been fasting. I have been as well. We are believing God for mighty harvest. But here's how you can be a part of this. We're not asking you to go. We're just asking you to be praying for us. And if you could help us by, by supporting a bus, a bus will cost basically $100 in, in, in equivalency, brings a bus to a crusade site. Some of you have already given the equivalent of giving five buses. Some of you in times past have given as many as 50 buses. We do need your help. Whatever you can do, we want to say thank you. And I know God himself in heaven is proud of what we're doing. So would you pray about right now? I know I talked about it last week. Would you pray about doing something significant so we can go in and pull the nets in a big fashion of Pakistan? I appreciate you doing it so very, very much. And I know Pastor is truly cheering us on from heaven. So let's remember that as well, church. Now, what we're going to do today is a little bit different. I'm going to have, we're going to have, like we always do, the PDM globe in front of us. But sometimes it's hard to put the envelopes of the giving in that PDM globe. Uh, you can easily give by 
important. Your phone is the QR code behind me, and you can give quickly that way if you choose to. Um, but we're going to have the globe in front of us, and we're going to have a bucket in front of the globe. I think it might be easier for those that want to give into Pakistan. So if you want to give into Peter Dosik Ministries in Pakistan specifically, you can give in, the, in front, either to the globe or the bucket in front of you. But the buckets off to my left and right will be for tithes and offerings, just so we we'll make sure we're clear on that. So I'm going to also talk about tithes and offerings. We know the benefits of tithes and offering as well, do we not? And I'm going to talk about America's first billionaire. America's first billionaire. Many of you probably know who that is. We, to, we talk a lot about Elon Musk, do we not? I think he's on practically every social media and every news outlet almost every single day. But, you know, America's first billionaire was John D. Rockefeller. And this man was a devout Christian. He loved God. He served God. God blessed his businesses, Standard Oil, and other companies he ran to the point where he was a man of God that prayed every single day. He read his Bible every day. He went to prayer uh, 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 meetings twice a week. He did devotionals every single day with his wife. He recognized the Sabbath. For those of us who don't know what that means, it means on Sunday he rested, actually. And, and, and he also was an amazing tither. At age 47, God had blessed him to the point where John D. Rockefeller, now this is back in the late 1880s, okay, 1880s, he was giving $100,000 a year to churches and to charities uh, because he knew the principle being, being when you sow, you're blessed because of it. By age 53, he would, this is the 1890s, he was giving a million dollars a year into charities and churches and to various organizations. When he was 80, he gave, in that year alone, this was back in 1919, over 100 years ago, he gave $138 million into ministries, into churches, into parachurch organizations, nonprofits. Now think about that. That had to be in the billions in today's dollars. But he did this because every single day he practiced two scriptures that he believed were keys to the success God blessed him with. In Malachi 3.10, you've heard it a thousand times to this platform. When you bring your tithes into the storehouse, when you bring the tithes into the church, 10% of what God blesses you with, you bring and, and sow that. He believed that God would open up the windows of heaven upon his life, upon his business, upon his family. And then he often would quote Luke 6.38, Given it shall be given, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will men and women give into your bosom. And by the measure which you've given, it's given back. He believed in those two principles. And church, I want to say this to you today. God's not a respecter of persons. What he did for John D. Rockefeller, he can do for you because God's promises are true. You become a faithful tither, you do live under open heaven. When you give into offerings like Pakistan and other offerings as the Lord lays on your heart, it will be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, will men and women give unto your bosom. So today, church, as we receive our tithes and offerings, as we give an offering into Pakistan, know that you are making a difference in the world today. Amen? All right, let's pray right now as we bring the buckets out and the globe out right now. Father, I thank you, God, for this time that we have to express our worship in another way. We can ex express our worship by giving to you, showing you that we have confidence in you, that we understand your promises are true, and that when we tithe, we know you're going to bless us with an open heaven upon our lives. We thank you, God, for those sowing into Pakistan. Lord, I pray for those that sow. Uh, I just ask you, Lord God, to bring it back to them, press down, shaking together, running over. Let it be a great year. Let 2024 be a mighty harvest year for everyone under the sound of my voice that's sowing into this, into Peter Dosik Ministries and specifically into Pakistan. We love you. We praise you. We give you praise for all you do in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's bring our tithes and offerings to the Lord and offering for Pakistan in front of me.
Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you for your giving, for the cause of the kingdom. Makes my heart excited that we are still moving forward uh, with PDM. You know, Eric and I had a conversation shortly after Pastor passed away, and I think Randy was there, uh, or we had talked privately, I'm not sure which, but Eric said, Nicole, what are we going to do? I said, well, is there any other choice of what to do? He said, I was hoping you'd say that. We're not going to quit the work of the Lord, amen? Though Pastor Dosick started it, it's still the work of the Lord to be completed, amen? Um, Some of you, we have this card out here for you um, today, and they're going to pass these out to you. And what this is, this is a little housekeeping for Only Believe. Um, We have a lot of emails, phone numbers, all that type stuff that are incorrect, Um, Because people get new cell phones or people would prefer to be texted and not emailed. This is the way we contact you in the church. And so I would love for you to fill out this information. For those of you that are techie, there's a little uh, QR code here. All you got to do is put your camera phone on there and you'll go and you can literally make the changes for us in a system. Nobody has to go and re-enter your data. That's crazy. It's called a digital world for those boomers and above that aren't aware of that. And I was raised by a boomer, so I would probably write the card out. I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) Although every time I use a QR code and it actually works, I'm excited. I'm like, wow, that's so neat. And then the younger generation is like, yeah, we live by QR codes. Yeah, so if you would, that would be a great help for us in the house today. Um, Before we get started and before we pray, I want to ask you, I ask my kids sometimes on a regular basis, have I said I love you today? And Quentin's like, yes, mom, 10 times. Yes, mom, 10 times or however many times it's been. But I ask you as a church, have I said thank you lately? Have I said thank you for allowing us to pastor you? for allowing us to equip you, for allowing us to help you raise, nurture your marriages and your families and to purpose you for the things of God. Because I want you to know the leadership at the church and the pastors in the house, we don't take this lightly. We don't take it flippantly. We don't prepare our message on Saturday night at 11 p.m. We're literally prayerfully considering what God would have us teach and lead and guide you in the ways so that we would bring glory to him. See, I'm going to be judged at a greater level than some of you because of the things that I know in the word and what I've done with that. And I want you to know that my fear of the Lord is far greater than any fear of man like King Saul. I'm going to be like King David, amen? But I wanted to take the time today and say thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. And we don't take it lightly. Now, Father, we just come before you today. And Lord, we believe that you've given us a word for the house today. And Father, as we continue in our series back in order, Father, I ask that you would guide my lips, Father, my motions, my thought patterns today, God, that they would be literally possessed by that of the Holy Spirit. Father, that you would remove us from the equation and let your word go forth, Father, and let it bring forth a true change in the hearts of men and women in the house today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You know, what good is it to hear the word if we're not going to do it? 
you know? All right, well, back in order is our series, and whether you are an expectant parent, a single parent, trying to be a parent, or a parent, or even a grandparent being a parent or changing and living in that role, because maybe your grandchildren are now in your care, I want to remind you that God is with you. And life is always better when it's ordered God's way. If you remember nothing else from the message today, remember that life is better when ordered God's way, not man's way. Those of us who hear Jesus' words and do them in our households, we found out last week that we're wise because our foundation is solid and it's built on the rock. It's built on something that's sturdy. But those of us that build our life up on the sand, which is the world's ways, the world's teaching, the world's ideologies of marriage, children, job, even the way you do your hobbies have been ordered by God. I know that sounds crazy. And not that God doesn't want you to have fun. He wants you to have fun in the right way. And a hobby of going to a bar and drinking with friends is not a hobby. That's called sinful nature. And that's going to get you in a whole steep of trouble. And chances are it's going to cause you to cause an infidelity in your marriage because you're sitting in a bar and people that sit in bars look like they're available. And after you get drinking, everybody looks available. Amen? It don't matter if it's good, pretty, ugly, married or not. It all looks good. Now, I don't know that from drinking, because, but I've heard those things. Now, I'm being sincere. My lip, I don't, well, I have drank alcohol, just not in that way. When life fall, comes our way, our house that is built on the, li- on the rock will not collapse when the storms of this life come. And we learned last week that they are coming. They're coming for your children. They're coming for your job. If some of you have never lost a job here in your life, one day it may occur. And when it does, if you're not steady and secure in the things of God, then you will be shaken beyond repair. And there are chances, a very strong chance, that you will not only forsake your relationship with God, but that you'll lose your house, your family, your car, and everything else that was attached to the worth of your job and not attached to the worth of God. Do you see how they're all connected? We don't choose our priorities based on what we think. We don't even choose them based on what our friends think. We choose our priorities based on what the word says and what God has ordered for our life. And it's very defined. The Lord has established the way you and I live. Some of us have to learn that. Some of us think that he only gets to establish what we don't understand. Some of us think that he only establishes when things get rough. Then he comes in and says, no, no, let me teach you the way. No, he's saying, let me teach you the way. And if you'll build it the way I've asked you, you won't be wondering what to do. Just take your hand off the wheel and give it to him and let him do it. See, we don't want a natural household. You and I are not of a natural life any longer. When we ask Christ to enter our hearts, we became supernatural and we want households that are supernatural, marriages that aren't earthly and just do things according to, well, you know, we're supposed to treat one another with kindness. Yeah, the world says do unto others as you will have them do unto you. But it's only when it's comfortable. It's only if you don't do this, but you really hurt me this time, so I'm going to tell you exactly what I think. 
You see? So the world's way doesn't work, but you can use godly principles. The world uses them every day in your life and still not have a supernatural power that causes you to raise your children or your marriage up or to do your job supernaturally. You know, I'm reminded of, of Ray, our neighbor, Ray Ray, as he calls himself. But Ray would, had a struggle at work and he was, a, I think, a coder. And he kept coming against this same problem over and over and over in this computer system that he and his team had designed. And he couldn't get over this one hiccup. There was a glitch in the system. And he was telling Randy and I about it. And I think Randy said, Ray, why don't you just pray? God knows the answer. He knows the And Ray went to fasting and prayer. And do you know, he found the glitch and changed the entire company and told his boss that the Lord showed it to him in the middle of the night. Come on. You can be supernatural employees. You can be supernatural farmers. You'll know when the day is to plant, not based on the farmer's almanac, but based on the Holy Spirit that says, Jim, Dave, get up and get your crop in the field today. For there's rain coming tomorrow that the meteorologist doesn't know about. And I want you to get it in the ground to get an early start. But we leave ourselves in this dependency on what we understand and know. I don't want children that aren't supernatural. I want children that know God. They know him. They don't know about him, but they found freedom from their sin. And let me tell you, the children that know God and the children that are free from the things of this world know how to put the devil on the run. They know how to equip themselves and understand what's happening in this world in politics like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were teenagers thrown into a fiery furnace. I'm telling you those kids stood up for what was right in the heart of a world that said you're gonna die. But they stood for what was right because they had been taught the things of God and they weren't living in a natural household. They were living in a supernatural place, even though they had been held captive in Babylon, the worst place in the world. They had been made slaves. They were leaders put in positions because 15, 16, 17-year-old young men had leadership abilities to be able to lead and guide and direct people. What in the world? 16-year-olds with the ability to lead. 16-year-olds with the ability to govern. We have kids living in our house till they're 35. I'm just saying, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. What I'm saying, it was a different day and age. And there was an autonomy that was far greater than what we're doing. I am guilty. All of my friends accuse me that I raise children that don't even know how to peel their own orange. I'm not kidding. Why? Lexi calls, Randy calls me one night. He's le watching Lexi at home. She won't eat the girl cheesy made her. And he said, she just keeps pushing it back on the high chair, pushing it back on the high chair. I said, well, did you cut the edges off and cut them in squares? He said, no, I cut it in a stupid triangle and said, eat it. I said, well, that's a problem. She don't like triangles. She likes squares. Cut the bread off and give her a square. He gave her the square. She ate the grilled cheese sandwich. I'm just saying this is what we've brought into this world and there's nothing wrong with that. But at what level have we not taught our children spiritual autonomy? Have we not taught them to self-govern their lives in the spirit? Yes, we're supposed to teach them all those things. 
Yes, we're supposed to. Let's go to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, and see what God says about it. Because he gives us distinct descriptions on what we're supposed to do with our children. For those of you that don't have children, God bless you. For those of you that do, Lord help you. I'm through certain stages of my life, and I'll be honest with you, those toddler stages are work. Here's what it says, Deuteronomy 6, 5. It says, uh, love the Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. I'm just saying I don't tie it on my head and wear it as a reminder anymore. But this is what the Bible tells us, that we are to train up a child according to whose ways? Sometimes we get in trouble. You ever heard the parent correct? Do what I said because I said so. Listen, I've done that before. But I'm going to tell you, looking back, I understand that God didn't want me to teach my kids what I said because I said so. He wanted me to teach them what he said because he said so. And sometimes we get that a little confused. And so it creates this dependency on themselves or upon their parents and it's not wrong that your children love you and respect you and honor you it's wrong that your children trust in you more than they trust in the heavenly father amen and we're a portrait of him and we'll talk about that later proverbs 22 6 says train up a child in the way that he should go and when he or she is old they will not depart from it In what way? In his way. Our way? No, his way. See, some of you parents are in a major struggle right now. I'm going to be honest with you. Your kids aren't six no more. They're not 10 no more. They're 26. They're 36. They're 48. And they still are not choosing the things of God. Here's what I want to remind you today. God never gave up on you. He never gave up on me. He's never going to give up on them. And you got to continue training and fighting for your child in the spirit realm. You are of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And one word, one word could change that situation and bring them right home to be back in the house of God. Amen. We are not trying to get our kids to obey us. We're, it, that's not the point, although that's a part of parenting. If we do not chase that child back to Jesus and understand that the reason we're establishing this is because he established it. See, lying is not something that I like. My mother hates lying. If there is one thing you could do that is a struggle for my mom, I'm telling you, you lie to her. Oh, Jesus. That's going to get you a beating. I'm just telling you. Okay, I use that as a, a strict... It's not a beating. You're going to get corrected. That's literally what's going to happen. And it's going to be very stern. It's going to be grounding. It's going to be a switch stick. It's going to be a correction because she thinks there nothing should be a lie out of your tongue, not even inflation. My dad taught me. I was at Randy's house one night in Piqua when we were dating. 
and I was throwing rocks at his window trying to get his attention because I was only allowed to see my boyfriend one time a week for four hours. There was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There were three days in the weekend, and there were friends, family, and boyfriends. One day for each of them, and you got four hours with each, and that was the requirement. That was it. Well, I was with my friends on Friday, and so we went to Randy's house so I could see him because that wasn't really lying. I was with my friends. And I was throwing rocks at the window. The problem was Randy's hearing was not real well and he had the music on real loud because he was lifting weights. Oh, boy. I broke the window. Then Randy's parents called my parents before I got home. And dad says, where were you tonight? I said, I was with the youth leader and we were in Piqua. And he's like, and what were you doing in Piqua? I'm like, well, you know, girl stuff. We were at the mall. We did this. We did that. And he just sat there so calm on the couch. It was beautiful. He was like, mm-hmm. You know, Nikki, the Holy Spirit knows all things. I said, oh, I know, Dad. I know. Thinking I was going to get away with it. He said, the Bible says he that maketh a lie is a liar. So anyone leading me to believe anything other than the absolute 100% full truth is a liar. Oh, Dad, I'm a liar! I'm so sorry! Please forgive me! I didn't mean it! I didn't mean it! I was at Randy's house. I broke the window. It was my fault. And he said, yeah, Jerry and Yvonne called. Then I, the Holy Spirit wasn't the one that ratted me out. It was Jerry and Yvonne! Man! I thought my dad, but he did have an inroad to the Holy Spirit. And my mother, oh my goodness, did she. Here's the point. Knowing that it was Jesus that didn't want me to lie. It was that I was going to go to an eternity without Christ if I didn't learn how to self-govern my life at an early age and not inflate something to make it look one way when it was specifically another way. And then he puts me in a pastor position where you come up with all these pastor stories. That's why sometimes I tell you, I'm letting you know this is inflated before I say it. Because I have the fear of the Lord and I don't ever want to make you believe a lie. I want you to know that I'm really inflating the truth and it wasn't near that grand. But I want to get a point across to you. It's the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord because I never want to displease him. Let's turn to Proverbs, the 29th chapter, 15 through 18. This is the wisdom book for those of you that might be watching today. You've never heard that before. If you want to become wise in the things of God, the first place to start is Proverbs. Just read a chapter a day. Proverbs 29, 15, it says, To discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. When the wicked are in authority, sin flourishes. But the godly will live to see their downfall. Discipline your children and they will give you peace of mind and make your heart glad. Here's the deal. You and I that do not correct our children, it's not bringing anyone else shame. It's bringing us shame. It's your and I's responsibility to take a hold of a child and to train him. Train him, not break him. Train him. Training happens through love. Training happens through correction and direction. 
Correction is not just, don't do that because I said so and you're making me mad. What? What's the reason in that? Where's there an explanation in that? Now, that's one thing if you've told your child three or four times, why not to do what they're doing and they continue doing it? Then you can say, knock that off. I've told you more than once, why not to do it? But we have to do it according to the Lord. See, it brings us shame. But the thing that it does to the Father, it doesn't bring glory to the Christian supernatural household. It looks like you don't know what you're doing. When really, he knows everything on how to do it with our children. But we have to do it. Proverbs 13, 24 says, those that spare the rod. Let me just verify what a rod is. It's a thin stick or switch. Not a metal bar, not a chair, not a hanger. No, no, hear me out. My girlfriend was beat with anything her, her mama could find laying around. It didn't matter. She's talked off to her and there was a... It brought in knife of a stick on it. She'd just fire her up. It didn't matter. I had another boy. His dad was a farmer. And they had horses in a barn. He'd come in. He'd say, my dad just grab a whip and slap it on the back of my thighs. Let me tell you something. You're not to injure your child. If you're bruising your children, you have gone too far. You need to relax. And you need to be sure that you're training and not releasing your anger upon your child for disappointing you or causing struggles. Listen to what it says. It says, you will spoil or hate their children if you don't give the rod. But those who love their children or that love them are diligent to discipline them. Let it be said that diligence is key. Consistency, consistency, consistency. Lexi got a cat at the house. Oh my gosh. Why would we do this? We already have Nightmare, the, the, the poodle, who's, who's completely, they call a grand dog because Randy and I don't correct it correctly. We're just kind of tired of correcting anything. You know, we're, we're just tired. We're older in our life and we've raised our three kids and then we wanted the joy of this new dog, but we don't want the puppy stage. Can someone just take the dog, train it and bring it back? The problem is it wouldn't matter because if the parents aren't disciplined, you can send your kids off to boarding school. You can send them off to a Christian school. But if you don't reinforce that which is being taught, if you aren't diligent, if you aren't correcting and loving and directing in a regular way, it's going to leave them. This cat four times jumped up. I was studying in the dining room away from everyone. And this cat four times jumped up off of Lexi's lap onto the table to play with my winter decorations. And all four times, like he grabbed the nap of that cat's neck, pull him over, and pull him down and say no. Pull him down, say no. Pull him down and say no. You know what she did the fifth time? I was watching her. You know why? Because I'm watching. How did I train her to do this? She said, okay, we've got too much distraction. We just got to go. Let's do something else. And she got up and left. You can break a child's spirit. And break their ability to love you, to hear from you, to be kind to them. If you keep putting them in the same situation over and over and over and over. And they cannot get through it. You don't equip them to get through it. You don't change the way you're doing it. You don't look at things differently. And you just keep sitting them right there. Lexi was a not a bow girl. I wanted a bow in her hair. If anyone knows me, I love bows and hearts. I just love them. I don't know why I'm a girl. 
Lexi would sit in the chair, the bobo chair is what I called it. It was a rocking chair. And I'm like, you're going to sit there and I'm going to put the bow in your hair. And I'd corn syrup her hair up. I'd put the bow in. And I'm not kidding you, within 10 seconds, pull it out and throw it on the floor and walk away. I'd say, put yourself right back in that seat. Put her right down in that seat, a little firmer. Fix her hair, put the bow in right before Sunday. Rip it out and walk away. Four times. And I said, I'm going to tell you what. You're going to, and Randy came in, he put his hand on my shoulder. He said, honey, it's a bow. She don't want to wear no bow. This is not her. Quit trying to make her wear a bow. It doesn't matter. Is this a moral issue to wear a bow? Then why are we fighting over immoral issues with our children? Can I just say that? Did, did anyone notice that Alexis did not come in with a bow in her hair today? And nobody cares. Nobody cares. We have to understand there are levels of discipline in our life. And the things that we are choosing are the immoral things. We want our kids to go to heaven. We don't care if their rooms are ordered the way you like it. Do I think that a child should not have one piece of clean clothing in their room to wear? No, because you and I know that if you show up to work stinking like a wretched dog, no one's going to let you keep your job. So you have to shower. You have to wear clean clothes. You have to brush your teeth. Why? Because there's consequences if we don't. But do we beat and spare the rod over something like that? Save it for when it matters. And choose your battles wisely. Amen. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Let's turn there. This is key. This is geared, a lot of this beginning part of my message is geared towards the younger parents in our church. It says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your mother and father, things will go well for you. And you will have long life on earth. Parents, write that scripture down. That's something that you can use for your children. I want you to be blessed. I want you to have life and I want it to go easy. And this is what Jesus says. If you do this, you honor us, your life is going to go well. It's going to be easy. But if you choose not to, and you choose disobedience, and you choose your own way, then this is what's going to happen. And you're not going to be blessed. I don't know a kid in the world that doesn't want to have enough money to do what they need to do to pay for their house, to pay for their car. Lincoln called me the other day. They just bought a house. Yay. Exciting day in Lincoln's life and Grace's. But he called me and he was angry about something. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Son, son, stop. You are tearing down your life with your mouth right now. Quit. He's like, what, mom, what? I said, God wants, devil wants nothing more than to get you caught up in anger, hostility about a situation that has nothing to do with your house so that he can steal the very blessing that God just gave you. Now look at what God's, you're so right, mom. <laughs> you're so right. Hung up the phone, never heard from him again. What is that? It's training, training, loving him through it, loving him through the place where he was. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Did you hear that? 
Rather, bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. So I did a little bit of research on provoke. This means to literally rouse to anger. Rouse a child to the place of anger with offensive words or by physical injury. You ever heard men say, I'm just going to take you outside. I'm going to punch the lights out. Which, by the way, we've had a couple of those episodes in our house. You know what I did? I picked up the phone. Rand looked at me. I said, I'm just ready to call 911. No, I'm serious. What do you want me to do? I can't jump in the middle of that. But he's like, no, these are grown men. It's time to get this on. I'm like, no, this is not the way this works. We don't do this in our household. But what happens, you get two males fighting over territory, fighting over what's right, over what's wrong. And let me tell you something. Your eight-year-old boy is going to rise up to 18 and 19, and he's going to fight for autonomy. He's going to fight for the right to be his own man and to govern his life. And you can either choose to walk with him through that situation, or you can wait till the day they're 18 and then try it. And I'm going to be honest with you, you're going to have a couple of these 911 calls possibly. And we had that. See, I understood about rearing children. I understand how to train them. I understood how to try to love them and to nurture them. But I didn't have the release all the way down. I don't think I released my children the way I could have released them. I think I held on to them way too long. No, I'm not kidding. Way too long. Like my mother was the nurturer of all nurturers. But it's one thing for a a daughter to not be released. Because a daughter needs protected. A daughter needs, you know, that fatherly thing. And sons, they just break out of the door like, let me out, let me out. That's what we think anyways. But there's a lot of girls that have that same personality. And they're like, let me out. You don't trust my ability to self-govern. I hear you. I get you. Let me try. And then if I fail, lovingly guide me back to the point and to the mark. We don't call names when we correct. I'm going to tell you right now, my mother was a firm believer in this. My father was raised by the hair of his head. I don't think there was anything that he wasn't called. But my father never spoke one ill word to me or about me that I heard. My mother would say, you don't call her stupid. You don't even get close to saying you're acting stupid because you inferred she was stupid. You've got to watch your mouth when you choose your child because what happens is when you degrade them, when you injure them, when you tear them down emotionally, you change their mental state of what they think of you and how they're going to live the rest of their life. Do you know that most of us spend our married life undoing what was done as a child in our life? Do you understand that the problems you're struggling with in your marriage were probably affected, you were affected in your childhood? Your insecurities, your fear, your lack of ability to self-reflect were really because of the way you managed your childhood? Do you get that? What kids called you? What kids did to you at school? That they chased me home every day? No, no, I'm not kidding. You guys don't think of this. Listen, I was in the world where literally when you were getting in trouble at school, when you were truly getting bullied, it meant physical bully. 
It wasn't online. I got chased home, drugged through the snow, lost shoes, held down, beat in the face. Because I loved Jesus in a town that thought the only religion you could have was Catholicism. That was me. That was me. To get all the way through to graduation day and a guy stand right next to me, I'll never forget it. And he looked at me and he said, I got to say sorry. I said, for what, Scott? He's like, I'm a born-again Christian and I'm filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I didn't have the ability to stand up next to you because I knew they'd do the same thing to me. That moment I had to choose to be a Christian because I was about ready to grab him by the nap of the neck and just lose my Christianity <laughs> over that one. I'm talking bullied. Do you know what? That affected me for today. It gave me the ability to walk a line when I don't care what you think. I don't care that you don't like it. I don't care that you don't agree with what I'm saying. What I care about is that that which is written and established in the word, I'm going to share it with you. You can chase me home. You can tie me up. You can beat me in the face, but I'm going to tell you the truth. That bullying defined who I was. But in my marriage, if I'm not careful... I can see my husband's help as criticism and as bullying. And I have to allow him to have that safe place in my life to tell me, you one ugly girl right now. You aren't treating people right. Your mouth ain't right. And you've lost your mind. And I have to be able to hear that. You see what I'm saying? Realize that what you're doing to your children affects the rest of their life. And you can be angry and sin not. Jesus did in the temple. He was super angry. But he sinned not. And that even meant he got to turn over a table or two. So I'm giving you some room, parents. You can turn over the kitchen table. (laughs) Okay, now let's put this back in order. You don't have to be emotionless in what you're doing. So many times we see this in our lives that People can't relate to Jesus as their, or God as their father. They struggle relating that relationship. They struggle because the visual they had when they were child was not correct. Have you ever felt people like, I just don't understand how God can be such a loving father. Because my dad's father, when he talked back, just threw him over the coffee table in the living room and broke it and punched him in the face. Because he talked back. Do you see? So it changed the view or the skew of what dad saw his father like. So he had to unlearn behaviors and accept that God loved him the way he was. Literally three to four days before dad passed away, he said to me, this is harder than I thought. And I said, what dad? He said, to put my spirit into God's hands. And I said, dad, it's it's not hard. He said, oh yeah, you got to make sure everything's right. I said, Daddy, just repent. If there's anything in there, he's going to show you and you're going to be fine. (laughs) He had a fear of the Lord in his heart because he had a fear of his father that had not been a loving dad and thought that maybe he would fall short. Maybe, just maybe, there was something in his life that he had not been faithful with, something he had not stewarded well, something he had not loved well, something he had not forgiven well, and he was taking a checklist and marking it down. 
can we be the image of what Jesus is to us, to our children? I remember one of our kids got into a heap load of trouble. Heap load of trouble. And I was just crushed in my spirit. Crushed. I'm talking walk around just crying because I felt like a failure. I felt like I failed my family. I felt like I failed the church. I felt like I failed my children. And I'm like, God, I just don't understand. And finally, about a week or two into this, Randy said, Nicole, you got to let this go. And I'm like, you don't understand. Blah, 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 blah. And he's like, no, you don't understand. You're bringing condemnation. You're bringing this shame. It's already present, but you cannot break our kid with your disappointment. It's okay to be disappointed, but do you know that God looks at you and I when we fail? And he says, I'm going to give them mercy and I'm going to give them grace. Have you ever thought of what mercy means? I'm going to take the penalty from you, Ashley. And I'm going to take it on myself. You don't have to pay for what you did. I got it. Oh, no, I wanted my kid to pay. I wanted them to mentally pay for the mistake. I wanted them to be self-aware, to understand what you did affected your family, it affected your grandparents, it affected all of us because of what you did. And God's like, stop. He said he was sorry for goodness sakes. Let my mercy be enough. But the pride, the pride in a mother to say that I raised that, And I made that and it's perfect. Some of you moms need to hear that. Some of you moms need to hear that. Sometimes children make choices that are not a reflection of the way they were trained. Sometimes children get themselves in pickles that only God himself can dig them out of. And it doesn't matter what mom says. It doesn't matter what dad says. It matters that they find God in the midst of their pit. See, we think that everything's reflected on us as a parent. It's not. It's meant to drive them to a relationship with Christ to get them to self-govern their own lives. You don't get to govern their lives. Listen, they're going to walk out of your door one day and it doesn't matter what you've done, what you've said, how you've taught them, the tempter's going to come. And when he comes, they get to choose whether they're going to govern their lives according to the word or they're going to govern their lives towards the world. You must take yourself out of the mix. So based on Randley, I said, you know what? I got to let it go. I got to let it go. Here's what I want to show you today. Now, I've already practiced with this. It's not really healthy. I'm going to let you know. Although I will say this, I had Lincoln come in and practice with me and Lincoln didn't even hit the target. And I did, and that means I've released a child before and we almost hit a target. (laughs) I told him, I said, you need a little bit of work on how to do that. Listen, your children are born to grow and mature and to turn into their own person. We must stop living or trying to live our life through them and making them into what we believe that they are supposed to be. I'm telling you, and even if you have sought the Lord in fasting and prayer, and you believe that your child is to be a pastor, 
Please do not tell your child they are to be a pastor. Please let God speak to your child and tell him or her what they will do for his kingdom. Because the second you tell them, they're putting on their running shoes and they are not doing a word you said. Because they're fearful of being just like you. And you and I know that we all turn into our parents, whether we like it or not, don't we? We all know it. We all said it would never happen to us. But what happened? You are just like your mama. Jean was a beautiful woman. You're a beautiful woman. And she knew what she wanted in Christ and she stood her ground. And that's exactly who you are. Do you understand that? You are your mother. Most of you are looking at me today saying she is just like her father. I get it. I get it. That's okay. You and I know that, but our kids don't. It's going to happen to them too. They're going to turn into just everything they didn't want to be. It's going to be just like us. It is. In the end, you win. They're going to be you. It's fine. It's fine. Just give them a chance to self-govern them. But what happens is we think we're Lord over our child's life and not parents. See, I'm going to tell you, they are on loan to you. They are a gift from God and they're given to you so that you can be his assistant. But oftentimes, we think we're their Lord. And then when things don't happen the way we want, or they don't choose what we want them to choose in their life, we're upset. When you have a target with a child, it's not, I'm pointing the target this way, just, okay, I won't shoot it right now, I'll show you. I don't want to take anyone out over here, so I'm not going to shoot it, just be aware. (laughs) It's all right, Bill, I got you. I'm not shooting you. Look what happens when your child starts to get to the point of the age that they start telling you no. How old is this? Uh, Ashley says two. Ashley says two. I'm going to take a younger parent's version right now because for us, it probably wasn't the same. Here's what happened. When your child starts to tell you they're not wearing a bow and that the answer is no, here's what we're going to do. Two years old, we're two inches from a target. Two inches. Here's what we're going to do. Hey, Lexi. Okay. You do it the way you... Wait, I can't even do this. Shut up. Shut up. I got this. I got this. See, I'm not used to releasing them at two. I held mine until they were 18. You do it real close. And you give the autonomy that close. And you're teaching your child, look, it says, the Bible says our children are like arrows. And that it's you and I's job to point them in the way they should go. In the way you want them to go? In the way the Lord wants them to go, but you're his assistant, so you should know. Did you hear that? And I'm going to use should because it's a shame word. Because if you don't do it, your children will bring you shame. See, the mark, do you know what sin says it is in the Bible? It's missing a mark. Not a mark by man. It's missing a mark based on the word of God. And when you don't teach your children and point them in the way they should go, and this is what you look like, and not right here, because this is what Christ says is right. And you don't want to go over here, because if you go over here, you're going to be wrong. And that is sin. And if you're in sin, you're not going to be with daddy and mommy in heaven forever. And I'm worried about your soul. At two years old, you start training, you start disciplining, you start correcting so that when they're 20 and he calls you on the phone and he's angry about something that didn't go his way, you can say, honey, no, 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 no. This is not the way we think. 
This is the enemy trying to come in and get you angry so that your sin and your mouth will get you in trouble. You're right, mom. You're right. So what happens? Now they're four. Now they're five. Now they're six. And guess what? You're starting to get further and further and further from the mark. Right? But here's here, this mama, this dad, I just kept mine right here. Look. And I tied it up tight. And I held on to it. And you can ask any of my kids. They'll say, Mom, you smothered us. You kept us so controlled. We didn't know how to get out of your control. So we wanted out. Listen, you got to shoot the arrow and release. 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 Don't hold on to. You got to trust that what you taught them is enough. You have to trust that when you send them to Sunday school and they teach them about the fruits of the spirit, that it's going to sink in. And when they come home on Monday, when they come home on Tuesday, when they come home on Wednesday, you're like, honey, that's not the fruit of the spirit. You being angry with your sister, that's not what it is. The fruit of the spirit is gentleness. It's kindness. It's love. See, you have to reaffirm that. And even when they're 26, you have to reaffirm that. When they're screaming about something they don't agree with in this world and treating people that are not just like them the way Christ would treat them, you have to remind them of the fruit of the Spirit. They'll get it, but you have to release them. They desire to be self-governed. God made them that way. It's okay. If he wanted two of you, there'd have been twins. I'm just telling you, God's not looking for another Nicole Waters in our family. Each one of my children are designed differently. And let me say that. My kids know correction is not equal in our home. Correction's not equal. One will get this, one will get that, and another one will get this. Because your personalities are different. And because the Holy Spirit gave you to us, we understand how you're made because we're in contact with him. We have to give our kids freedom. David was anointed king at 16 years old. Is that not mind-blowing? 16 years old. But when David came in to bring his brothers, oh, by the way, he killed a giant at age 20. At age 20, theologians say, they argue about it. I don't know what's true, but this is pretty close, I believe. David knew that when he showed up on the scene of Goliath to check on his brothers and just bring some cheese... That he knew that the the giant was treating God's people incorrectly. He didn't have to run home and ask mom and dad what he should do. But some of us parents, oh, see, our identity comes from our children needing us. David's parents' identity was not in him needing them. Their identity was in what they had taught and trained him up and disciplined him to do. David was a warrior. He didn't even know that sitting in that field that he was training for the greatest battle of his life. Didn't run home and ask mom and dad whether I can go. What he knew was is that a giant was literally degrading the people of God and he was sinful in nature and he was righteous and that God was with the righteous and he was a giant slayer that day. He didn't go ask anyone's opinion. In fact, they were like, no, 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 David, you can't do this. He's like, let me go. Don't let any of those men have a heart attack. I'll go do it. 
I'll go kill the uncircumcised Philistine. I'll stare sin in the face and say that is wrong. I want to raise children that stare into the darkness of this world and go, that is wrong. What's wrong is right and what right is wrong. We've got to raise a generation that understands what it is to live according to God's way. I was talking to a lady the other day and she was talking about uh, uh, the Pope has decided to bless marriages of the same sex. And I said, in the kindest voice, by the way, I was paying her to do a service so she had to listen. just want you to know that. Wasn't like she could get up and leave. And I said, at what level does all inclusivity become wrong? See, I'm all about Jesus has included everyone. He came to die for the whole world. But in order to be a part of God's kingdom, you must exclusively serve him and his established ways. Not the world's ways, not the Pope's way. And if man can change the ways that have been established by God, then we don't serve a God that's unchangeable. We, God doesn't change his mind about what's inclusive and what's exclusive. He designed his word. We just have to live by it. I said, at what point does inclusivity begin to allow the murderer to do what the murderer wants to do so he can feel accepted. At what point does it become wrong to enter someone's home and take what we want, ravage their women, ravage their children? I think we've been here, it was called the Vikings, but, but civilization grew. But it looks like we're coming right back to the same thing that we don't want the thief to feel excluded from God's love. So in order so that no one feels excluded, We'll just include everyone. No. God sent his son Jesus for the entire world. Amen. That he would forgive their sin, but there's wrong and there's right. And if you want to be included in the heaven, in the kingdom of God, then you must live accordingly to his list of right and wrong. And let me tell you something. His list of right and wrong is not so you can't have fun. It's not so you can't live life. It's so that you can live life and not die. Do you get that? Living a life in sin means you're going to die in eternal damnation and have full separation from God. He gave you this list. He gave you the word. He established his identity so that you would know that you could live. And when you live according to this establishment, then he honors you and you get eternal life with him. Do you see? I have good news at the end of this message, I promise. It's a hard one. Inclusivity is all around us. It's all around us. Are we as parents available to listen to our kids because we have our kids in the right priority? Are they able to share their feelings with us without us becoming angered? Start yelling, start screaming, start degrading our children because they come home and they have a question and they really don't know the right answer. 
but they're asking you. Or maybe they're trying to, to, to self-govern it, so they're like, Mom, well, I don't agree with this. And you just lose your mind. Stop. Randy taught me one thing. He said, Nicole, it doesn't matter what our kids come home and tell us. I don't care how bad it is. You don't act shocked. Because then they don't do anything out of the shock and awe factor. And when our kids came home and asked us some really hard questions, one time my Lincoln bust through the front door. He was about seven. He said, Mom, you lied to me. I said, what do you mean I lied to you? He said, you told me that you had to be married to kiss and to have babies. And I know so-and-so, and that's not the case. And I said, well, I gave you that answer when you were four. And I gave you the answer that I thought was appropriate for your age. And he's like, I'm just saying, you lied. You lied. I lied. I learned that moment that I didn't have to candy coat anything for my kids. You don't have to candy coat it. Just give them the word. It works. I finished the message with this. If kids are an arrow, it's nice and straight. I didn't make this arrow. God made this arrow and gave it to me. Last time I checked, you can't make a baby without God's supernatural work in it. Right? God made this arrow according, but when it came out, it had these feathers. And I found this out from my dad because he would take certain arrows and he would buy them with no feathers. And then he would put on his own arrows, feathers, and he would put on his own tip. And I said, Daddy, why are you doing that? It's so much more costly. That's stupid. Mom's griping about how much money you're spending. You're spending $32 on an arrow. He said, Nicole, arrows are for different things. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, look at this. And he pulled them out. What do you do? He'd wet those feathers back. Some make an arrow curve to the target. Some arrow feathers make it quick and silent so that what it's coming for can't even hear it. Some penetrate shallow and some go all the way through. God knows what your arrow was made for and what it's going to do. But if you get a bottle of glue and you start changing the way God facilitated these arrows or you get angry and you start beating your kids when you're doing it and you're angry when you're correcting them, you are going to change what these feathers were meant to do. Now, can God fix that? He can. Because we know a God who's the healer. We needed the healer when one of our kids really broke my heart we needed the healer in our home my kids needed the healer they needed the healer to forgive them to wash them clean to remove condemnation to remove shame but I needed it to remove disappointment I needed it to be able to look at my child the way God sees them and say I forgive you because God forgave you and sometimes that's a walk Sometimes it doesn't happen. I wanted to rip those feathers off limb from limb. But the Holy Spirit was enough. And my husband. Church, I remind you today, you have what it takes to raise your children. God never chose to give those children to you. When you begin to seek the Lord in prayer, 
The Holy Spirit will tell you what you need to touch the character of the individual you are praying for. The character of your child. Not the way they act, not what they wear, not what they say. The character. And out of the character of that place, their words will begin to change. Their clothes will begin to change. That sleazy material they're wearing that you can't loathe, you're like, oh my gosh, it'll change. It'll change. The way they speak will begin to change. Some of you are in the fight for your children, and I understand that. Does anyone hear that child screaming right now? God help that mother and father right now in the name of Jesus. Oh, Lord. You have what it takes. Your seed, your children, the seed of you and your wife, or you and your first wife, you and your ex-wife, you, you and your paternity, whatever it looks like. There's people trying to get pregnant all around you. Be sensitive to that. Be sensitive to that when you're griping about your children. There might be people in your pew that don't have any children and just wish they could have one. Seriously. Your seed has everything it needs in it to be what God's called it to be. Amen. It's our job. It's our priority to hold that seed in such regard above our jobs, above our hobbies, above our church, above our ministry, right underneath the marriage priority and let it sit in the sun and let God and the Holy Spirit do what it's going to do. And we nurture it and when its leaves get too big and they start draping over to hit the ground, we just come in with a stick and we gently pull them up and tie them together. We nurture the seed that God gave us until it becomes to the place that it can bear fruit. Don't lose your mind. The Holy Spirit knows more than you know about your kid. He's waiting to give you a gift of interpretation. Wisdom. The gift of wisdom. Do you realize that? Your girls that are hurt, your girls that have insecurities, your girls that has the broken heart from a boy that they should have never been with in the first place, but they were dating on the side and you had no clue. God knows that situation. And he knows exactly the insecurity in your daughter's life of why she picks the worst guy. And sometimes they come home with the worst guy and the next guy they bring home, you wonder how low they could go to get him. But they keep bringing him home. My mom looked at me and she said this. She said, Nicole, she said, I don't ask what's wrong with your marriage. I ask what's wrong with you. Your children are choosing choices they're choosing because there's something in them that's broke. Get a hold of the Holy Spirit. Find out what that broken place is. And he is the ultimate healer. And he will heal all things. Amen. 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 Stand to your feet. Father, we just come before you today in the name of Jesus. And God, we just lay our children at your feet. God, in today's world, it's dark. It's a dark, dark place. And Father, we need your word to shine forth. We need you to be the author and the finisher of our children's lives. We know you are, but God, sometimes trusting in you is harder than it thinks, than we think. It's hard to go through these things, to see our children try and fight for autonomy, to be their own person, to self-govern. And Father, when we see them making bad choices, we want to intervene. Help us, God, to raise children the way you would have us raise them. Help 
guide us in this world. Help remind us that we are not alone. That you gave them to us because you had faith that we would come to you when things got rough and that you would tell us what to do. Father, we are 100% dependent upon you. We give up our dependency, our self selfishness, our pride. And God, we just say, help us get through tomorrow. Help us be consistent in teaching and training in the way we should go. If you're struggling with your kids and you have some teenagers from, I don't know, whatever, whatever age your kid is saying, I don't want God and I don't believe he's real. If that's you, I wanna pray for you guys down here in the front today. I think, you need, I think you need support. I think you need prayer. I think you need help going through what you're going through. And the pastors of the house are going to pray over you and the prayer team. But you might be in the house today and you might be saying, Pastor Nicole, I, I don't even have kids. But I know that when I do, I want to raise them like God wants me to raise them. But I don't have a relationship with him. I want to tell you today that God is crazy about you. I heard this song on the radio and I want you to know that he's crazy about you as a person. So crazy that he came to this life and laid down his life for you. That's crazy. That's crazy. He's not mad at you. He's simply madly in love with you. He tore down all your failures so that you would know he's living and he's alive. He shows you his scars because it's already been done. He already went to the cross for you. Whether you accept the inclusivity today, whether you accept that you can be a part of God's family, he already did it. But you have to accept it. And then walking into the house of God, you live an exclusive life and you're a part of an exclusive Christian believing community that do things God's way. We don't always hit the mark, but we try. We try hard. And when we fall short, we just ask God to forgive us. And we move on and we start again. If you're in the house today and you say, Pastor Nicole, I want that Jesus you're talking about. I want to live my life according to what is right in the word, then I want you to raise your hand and I'm gonna ask that you boldly come down here today and say, I want to give my life to Christ. Is there anyone in this house today that would say, I want this Jesus you're talking about. I've fallen away from God and I know what's right, but today I'm choosing his way. Anyone? We got one? Thank you. Come on, look at that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bold move. Bold move. Is there anyone else in the house today? Anyone? Someone's broke the ice. Is there anyone else that would say, I want to give my life to Christ today? Like this young lady that took boldness to step out of her chair and come down here and to proclaim, I want Christ. 
Is there anyone else in the house? Anyone. Don't let this time pass you by. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Literally, you have a chance of being in a car accident on your way home today. And you would not be right with Christ. All right. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Be Lord of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Order my life. Order my life. Devil. Devil. I step away from you. I step away from you. You are no longer. You are no longer. In control. In control. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And that he died. And that he died. And rose again. And rose again. And now. And now. He lives in me. He lives in me. I give you my life, Lord. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is Nita. She's going to take you and give you some information and capture your name so we can disciple you. Praise the Lord. If you're in the house today, and that is one of your children that you decide, I'm going to pray and dismiss, but I'm going to ask those people, those parents, you may be a single parent. You might be a grandparent. If this is what's happening and your children don't believe in God, I believe that we're here today to pray over that and it's going to break that spirit off of their lives. It's a, it's a blindness, but God's here to bring freedom. Uh, one of our prayer members came up to me before and said that she had been praying and that she felt that addictions were going to fall off today. If you have an addiction of smoking, alcohol, pornography, sexual addiction, whatever that looks like, whatever you would call an addiction and you want it broke off your life today, for some of us it may be pop. We've all been through this. Whatever the addiction is, then I'm asking also that you come down. The prayer team heard that today. We're gonna honor that. And if that's you, God's here to move. Now, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the time that we've been here together as a community. Now, Father, we come with, with empowerment, with an equipping. And Father, we ask that we go into this world. Father, bring an awareness to us this week of what's going on around us and how to properly share the gospel. That we would be bold in our hearts, bold in our words, but loving and kind and gentle and really release the Jesus that you are. And we thank you for it, Lord. Watch over us and keep us safe as we travel home. In mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. Don't forget if you're here and you need prayer, we are at the altar waiting on you.